0: Well, let's have a prayer for illumination of the, re- of the reading of the word and the preached word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, Lord, uh, for the great hymns, that you are fairest, Lord Jesus. And as we lift high the cross, Lord, we sing your praises. And now we pray that we worship you through the reading and preaching of the word, Lord, that you would uh, let the word just become live to our hearts and our minds. Let us see your goodness in your face, in your presence. Lord, remove all those distracting thoughts that seek to crowd in on us and and to intrude upon us. Lord, the evil one wants to steal the word of God from our hearts so that we might not hear. He's always harassing us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would bind the devil, bind the evil one, Lord. And I pray that you would just center our minds and our focus and our attention. Help us to hear you, see you. And Lord, may this word be planted deep into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture text is Philippians chapter 3, and we will read the first 11 verses. Righteousness through faith in Jesus. Let's give our attention to God's word. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. But we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, may the Lord add a blessing to his holy word. Amen. If you were to ask people, what does it mean to be a Christian? What is it? What is a Christian? Uh, we have so many different uh, answers to that question, one might tell you they're a Christian because we're Americans. It's what we do. That's you know that's, that's our tradition. You know it's Memorial Day. One of the things that we fought for is freedom of religion. So just by, just by the fact that I'm an American, uh, that's our tradition. You know we go to church maybe Christmas and Easter, and so we're Christians. Others say that a Christian is someone who perhaps identifies with a uh, certain, uh, it's, it's just who we are. It's like a political party. I identify as a Republican, Demo- identify as a Democrat. I identify as a Christian. That is what I am. That's who I am. I'm a Christian because, again, because that's where, um, that's how I was raised. That's how I grew up and so on. Some would tell you they're a Christian because they were Baptized. Uh, they were baptized as an infant. They were baptized when they were 10 or 11. That makes them a Christian. Others say they were Christian because they accepted Jesus as their Savior. They walked the aisle of a Billy Graham, um, uh, after a Billy Graham crusade or some other place, and they felt this need to give their lives to Christ, and they say they were Christian because they gave their lives to Jesus. They accepted Jesus as their Savior. Well, all of these things that I mentioned do not guarantee us that we're Christians. Um, It does not mean necessarily that we're Christians. And the Apostle Paul today in Philippians chapter three uh, tackles this very issue. He clarifies what is Christianity. And notice what he says there. He talks about rejoice. Philippians is a book of joy. It's a book of rejoicing. It's a book of happiness. Paul was in prison when he wrote this book. So he says, rejoice. And yes, so joy is not necessarily a uh, thing where we're happy, but it's it's what we are. It's a state of mind. Uh, he says, rejoice. And then he says in verse two, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. Who's he talking about? He's talking about false prophets, false teachers. That's pretty harsh to call someone a dog, an evil worker. But these were false teachers who were teaching, these were called Judaizers, that were teaching that Salvation is by faith, but it's also by circumcision as well. It's faith plus works. And Paul says that is heresy. That is a damnable heresy and that will uh, send people to hell. And so he says, beware of dogs. That's why these false. Paul had no tolerance for false prophets. He had no tolerance for those who were uh, who, who were false preachers leading people astray leading them away and these false teachers bragged about who they were they preached themselves that's what he talks about in Galatians and Philippines these false teachers preached themselves they had a name they had a reputation they were charismatic uh, they uh, often criticized the apostle Paul they tried to uh, set the apostle Paul aside these people thought they were something they thought they had a name they wanted a following most false prophets false teachers that's what they do they want they, they have a personality. They have a name. They want to drag people with them. They want people to follow them and serve them and worship them. Well, the apostle Paul says, I'll put you to the test. I'll put you to the test. He says there in um, verse four, he says, I also might have confidence in the flesh as well. He says he rejoiced at verse three, rejoice in Christ Jesus, have no confidence in the flesh. He says, but I also can outdo you. He says, you know what? He says, I also have a pedigree, a background. I have a biography as well. You know, the military, when we have a, uh, a uh, retirement or we have a new commander coming, there's a bio that is written every time, especially most officers. When you go to a, a new assignment, you go to a new job, whatever, you have to send a biography. A biography is just what you've done, where you've been. Uh, where are you going? You know, your medals, your awards, your assignments, and, and these things. And so that's what the Apostle Paul tells us. First of all, he tells us, if we're going to find out what is a Christian, he tells us what a Christian is not. So the Apostle Paul lays out what he's done in verse 3, excuse me, verse 5. He says he was circumcised the eighth day. In other words, he says that he was circumcised according to the law of Moses. Uh of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, he's an Israelite, a Benjamite. If you remember in First Kings, after Solomon died, you saw that the the Israel, the kingdom split. You had the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom were the ten tribes. The southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin. And so uh, Paul uh, says that he was part of the tribe of Benjamin that did not split from off from. Uh, Israel. And then he says this also. He says a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerned the law of Pharisee. We talked about the Pharisees this morning. Paul says that somewhere else that he was the strictest sect of the Pharisees. There were some Pharisees that were not as strict. The apostle Paul was very disciplined. Uh, he came from the strictest sect of the of the Pharisees. He fasted probably more than what was required. He had more prayers. He watched what he ate. He did all these things. He was Um, genuine, sincere concerning the law of Pharisee. And he says concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He thought he was doing God's work when he persecuted the church. He thought that, that the Christians had to be persecuted, had to be stamped out, put in jail, killed, and taken away. Why? Because they were a blight on society. And he says he did these things with vigor, with zeal. He was the number one uh, villain often. When he became a Christian, a lot of the Christians were afraid of him because of his past life and what he did. And then here in verse 6, he says, the righteous, righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He says he was blameless that he had any sin. We talked about this, that this morning. He so says concern the law. He looked at the law and thought, I did that. I did that. Like the rich young ruler. I, all these things I've done for my youth. I've kept the law, I haven't lied, I haven't stolen, I haven't murdered, haven't committed adultery, haven't done these things, therefore I'm blameless before the law. And so Paul says this was his religious upbringing, his his religious background. He says, but which things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. So Paul looked at this. He looked at his his background, religious indeed, powerful, Pharisee circumcised the if they tribe of benjamin hebrew the hebrews all these things he was yet he says this that he counted all things lost for christ you know when we look at religion especially there's a teaching going on and especially in especially in the christian world today that really organized religion is bad stay away from organized religion because it will infect you stay away from you know how to survive organized religion I was on the plane coming back from Chicago, uh, was it last, uh, last fall, and I was sitting um, a couple of seats down, and there was this guy, he was witnessing to this Jewish lady, and she was asking questions, she was very curious, and finally he says, I think she asked him something about where he goes to church, because I don't go to church, he says, I don't believe in organized religion, because organized religion is, is terrible. You know, I just believe in love and the gospel and and talking about Jesus. That's what I believe. Well, that indeed is heretical. That is um uh, what can we say to that? Well, that obviously is not what God has in mind. Religion is a means of grace, it's to bring us to Christ, it's to cause us to worship Christ. When we come here. We are coming to seek Christ, to find Christ, to follow Christ, to love Christ, to learn about Christ. That's what religion is. And God commands us. Do not neglect the assembling together of the saints such as some are, especially as you see the day approaching. So that's a command from God. And the whole New Testament is built and based around the church. There's no such thing really as an individual Christian. There's no such thing as really um, Christians who are off by themselves. But there's, we are a body, a corporate body of believers. But what, but what Paul talks about here in Philippians is that the problem is that when we rest in religion, when our religion becomes our justification for salvation, when our religion becomes that which we are looking to gain acceptance by God uh, through our religion, by the fact that we go to church or we've been baptized or whatever, other religious thing that we've done is so many people fall short because they rest in their religion. They rest in their church attendance. They rest in the fact that maybe their parents or their grandparents were religious and, and so on. Or we rest in the fact that even we hold an office like an elder or a preacher or, or a deacon or we sing in a choir, whatever it is, we rest in that and we think that is enough. And that's what the Apostle Paul is attacking. That Apostle Paul thought that his life was good enough, that he was circumcised, that he was of the right ethnicity. He was he did the right things. He was a Pharisee. He was uh, a keeper of the law. All of these things he thought meant that he was accepted by God. And this is what so many have done. They all think that this is what will get them into heaven because of the things that they've done. I was listening to uh, Mike Tyson on a podcast. What an interesting thing to bring up Mike Tyson here. But anyway, (laughs) he was talking about he he identifies as a Muslim and he was saying, yeah, I just want to get to heaven. And one of the things I do is I tip a lot. So hopefully God up there sees that I'm a big tipper and I'm getting some points up, you know, up up in heaven with God. And a lot of people feel that way. A lot of people feel that we have this sort of sheet uh, ledger or credit sheet, where we have, we can, um, you know, I've done more good than bad. God's going to accept me because I have done this, I've done that, I've done X, Y, Z, and all these other things, and he accepts me for that. And that's what the apostle Paul thought, concerning the law, blameless. Look at all that I've done. Look at everything I've done, everything that I am doing. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, one of the scariest verses in all of the Bible, that last day, Lord, haven't we done all these works in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Because, they're lo- Why? because they were basing it on their own righteousness, on what they've done, and not on Christ. So that's the first thing Paul wants these Judaizers to know and wants everyone else to know is, is what life was before he became a Christian. But then he talks about the second point, is what he was after he became a Christian. When God changed his heart and his mind, he says in verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So what Paul gained before he became a Christian, now he suffers loss. His own righteousness, his own works, his own um, tradition, ethnicity, all those things, his own pedigree. He counts them all lost. What that he might gain, the, pet, the, uh, the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Once he found Christ, once he saw Christ, once he looked at Christ, he was immediately ready to trade in all of those things for Jesus Christ. You know, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives that parable of the, um, of the, uh, of the pearl of great price. The pearl of great prices is, is um, the the point of the parable is that there was a, a, a merchant who had great pearls. But once he found that pearl of great price, he traded them all in so he could find the great pearl. And Jesus is the pearl of the great price. And that's what Paul says. That's what a Christian does. We give all that we are. We surrender our lives to Jesus so that we might gain him. And that's what Paul says. He says, I count loss all things for Christ. And once we become saved, what do we do? We surrender. We repent. We give up all that we are, all that we own, and so on, so that we might find the excellence in the knowledge of Christ. We see that our righteousness is filthy rags, that our righteousness means nothing, that all that we thought was important to get into heaven, we, Paul says he counts them as rubbish that he may gain Christ. And what did Paul find in verse 9? He talks about he found justification. Not have my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So all of these things that the Apostle Paul gloried in, all these things that he thought was being credited to his account, all of the fastings and prayers and all of the the worship and teaching of the law, all these great things he thought he was doing for God, he now suddenly finds that they're nothing, they're rubbish. But what did he find? He found the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, that Christ's righteousness is what he needs, that, that, that his righteousness is imputed to us and our sins are imputed to him. So if we're going to get to heaven, that's the righteousness we need. We need that righteousness of Jesus Christ that we need that perfect righteousness. Christ who came into this world, died, never sinned, rose from the grave, and we need that imputed to us so that we might be found perfect in Christ's sight. Not by our own righteousness, but by Christ's righteousness. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Not his own righteousness. That must go. But instead, you know, he is the righteousness of Christ, which is from God by faith. I called that verse this morning in Psalm 32. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. In other words, when our sins are forgiven, what a blessed thing there is. When we have that righteousness, that holiness of Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ, and we receive it by faith, not by works, but by faith, believing that our righteousness is ours. And then he talks about regeneration in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. In other words, Paul says the resurrection is powerful. One of the hardest things to do is to convince a person, as I talked about, of their sin is to bring someone into the kingdom of God. It's impossible. We cannot do it. Why? Because we're dead in sins and trespasses, according to the Bible. You know, we're blind. We can't see the beauties of Christ or the law of God. We, we try to convince people. We try to drag them in. We try to manipulate them. We try to uh, talk whatever we can to get them in there. But until God does something, until the Holy Spirit comes and quickens them and breathes life into them, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, that the same way that God said, let there be light and there was light. So God says the same to us. Let there be light and there was light. If we're a Christian today, it's because God has regenerated us. And so Paul says this this gospel is powerful. He says he's not ashamed of it. He's not ashamed of the gospel because it is powerful because it changed his life. Paul says in Timothy, he was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He was vile. He was in his own mind. But he says, but God had mercy on him and God changed him and transformed him and made him a new person. And he says, if God can do that for me, he can definitely do that for you as well. So he talks about this power of the resurrection. Paul says, this is this is what I preach, the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed to preach Christ. I'm not ashamed because that is the power. That's the only thing that he knows because he's seen it over and over again. I don't know if you've ever gone to high schools or colleges and you've Looked into the, if you look at, obviously, you know, I love sports and look at the athletic section and and you see all the trophies that teams have won over the years. And maybe there's a guide or a coach there that is there with you. And he tells you, oh, yeah, that was our best team that year. No one could beat us. And the next year, wow, that team, we won, but that wasn't, we just had grit and determination. It wasn't the best team, but but it had the team had the most heart, the most guts and so on. We found a way to win every, you know, so those trophies represent what happened, how the team won, what type of team that it was. And Paul is saying here that the power of resurrection, we are, in a sense, God's trophy case, because each of us have a gospel story about how we came to faith. What God did for us, maybe some of us were saved when we were uh, young others others of us were saved maybe we lived a life like the sinful woman we found this morning in the bible others of us were mean or uh, others of us were atheistic and so on we all have a testimony all have a story of how god saved us that's the amazing thing is that we exhibit we are god's exhibition we are god's trophy case so that the world may see that if God did it for them, he can do it. If God did it to us, he could do it for them as well. That's why he says we're salt and light. That's why we tell people, yes, I remember. This is what I did. God did this for me or God did that for me and so on. If you know this, that's why the Bible says we're salt of the earth, light of the world. If you think about it, the world oftentimes not coming to church. So what does God do? He sends us into the world. I'm on a ship with very few believers, very few. And yet I get the opportunity to share the light of Christ, uh, the gospel of Christ, or especially in counseling, being able to interact with them and tell them about the good news of Jesus and that their situation, the reason why their situation is as it is because they don't know God. They haven't been following God. They haven't been serving God and so on. And perhaps at your job, in your neighborhood, with your friends, at your barbershop or at your uh, nail salon or hair salon or whatever it is, there are people there. There is a guy who cuts my hair. He's Buddhist. His name is Johnny. It's hard to understand him. So I gave gave him a book of the uh, Reformed Faith. I don't know if he he read it or not. But the fact of the matter is is that we have the opportunity every day. Oftentimes we think, boy, I would love to go be a missionary and go all over the world and share Christ. uh, That's great. But sometimes God says, what about right where we are right now? And we should not be ashamed because this is what Christ can use. This is what God can use to transform people, to save people. And Paul says that I may know him. That word know, it means it's an intimate knowledge, not about Christ. I may know him and the power of the resurrection. Why? Because God has done something to us. The Holy Spirit has quickened us. And when he's quickened us and made us a new person, now we have this intimate knowledge of Jesus. There's a relationship we have with Christ. There is a oneness and a closeness that we have with God, that we might know him and the power of his resurrection. Suddenly we were far off. We didn't know Christ, but now we know him. That's an amazing thing. And then finally, he says, in the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death. Well, it was all good until we started talking about suffering, right? But Paul says that Christ asked us to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. Sufferings never feel good, but they are good because they bring us closer to Jesus. Jesus suffered, forget the uh, theologian who said it, that if Christ suffered, why should we expect not to suffer as well? It's very rare, as one theologian said, for us to enter into heaven on the bed of roses without any problems, without any difficulties. In this world, we'll have tribulation. But be of good cheer, we've overcome the world. And these sufferings help us, sanctify us, make us more like Christ, make us more prepared to meet him. Focuses us not on this world, but on the next world. Causes us to see that our home is not here, but our home is in heaven. David says, it's good that I've been afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. And he says we're being conformed to his death the same way that Jesus suffered and was afflicted. So we are as well. But yet we could be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world and that we might obtain the resurrection from the dead. If we die with him, we'll be raised with him. So the Apostle Paul tells us this is what a Christian is. Someone who's been justified someone who's been born again someone who's been sanctified are you a christian this morning perhaps we should judge it by what we see here in these verses because we're all like the apostle paul looking at before we became a christian looking at our good works but now we cast those off have we counted all things lost for christ have we seen that The things of this world, our own righteousness, our own pride, all these things are nothing compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul wants us to understand, to count all things lost for Christ so that we might gain Christ, to count ourselves, our lives, all lost for Christ so that we might be one with Christ. Have you done that? That's what Jesus asked us to do. He asked us to count all things lost for Christ, to take up our cross and follow him, to surrender all things, to lose our lives so that we might gain Jesus. Well, I exhort you to do that this morning, and I also exhort you as well to continue to celebrate the righteousness which you have in Christ to know this righteousness even more, to know the power of the resurrection even more, to live a resurrected life, to live a life where you're in union with Christ, a life that enables you to follow and serve the Lord Jesus even more. Amen. Lord, thank you for Philippians chapter 3. Thank you for uh, the Apostle Paul. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for salvation in the gospel and Lord we pray Lord that you would teach us what it means to follow you not to rest in our own righteousness but to rest in the righteousness of Christ seeing our own works our own good works of filthy rags but instead let us cling to the perfect righteousness of Jesus and so Lord if there's one here that doesn't know you may you quicken them by the power of your Holy Spirit, and Lord, and may they see the light of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.